This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's God's word. Let's pray together. Our good and gracious God, we give thanks that you have given us your word, and as we study your word now, we pray that you would thrill us with joy and gladness because of your great plan of redemption centered in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and we pray this in his name, amen. There is a lot that we don't know about angels. They are somewhat mysterious to us supposedly in part because none of us has ever seen one, at least not that we know of. We know that they were created by God because all things, visible and invisible, were created by God. We know they were created on the first day of creation because Job 38 verse 4 tells us that when the foundations of the earth were laid, all the angels shouted for joy. We know that the elect angels, by God's grace, remain free from sin while others rebelled against God and, as Jude says it, did not stay within their own position of authority. And they, that is the evil angels, will undergo a punishment of eternal fire. And we know that the angels, the elect ones, are absolutely delighted with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we saw in our reading this morning. And so this morning, I want to soar angelic-like through the Bible and see the angels and their interaction with the great plan of redemption. And we start where we first encounter the angels. That's in Genesis 3. We find them there with a flaming sword turning all sorts of ways, to guard the way to the tree of life. And it appears that that guarding is a grace, it is a blessing. Already then, right after the fall into sin, the angels were, as Hebrews 1 tells us, ministering spirits sent to serve those who are to inherit salvation. So why do I say that? 
Well, Adam and Eve lived in fellowship with God, and then they gave in to the tempter and sinned against God and rebelled against Him, and that created a disharmony between God and man, a hostility that would result in eternal death. In fact, that hostility was so great that we read that God drove them out of the garden. And then God placed cherubim with flaming swords to prevent Adam and Eve from going back into the garden and eating of the tree of life that was in the middle of the garden. That is, if they had gone back and eaten of the tree of life, it would have sealed them in the current state that they were in. They had fallen into sin, and they would be perpetually into sin. There would be no possibility of salvation for them if they had eaten of the tree of life. So in mercy, the cherubim guard the way so that Adam and Eve could not seal their fate forever by eating of that tree. Well, that wasn't probably the best assignment the angels could have, even if it was a merciful one. It must have been difficult to be reminded of human failure on a daily basis, and there certainly are happier tasks that the angels could be assigned to. And, in fact, they knew that there were happier tasks to be assigned to. They knew that though the relationship between God and humans had been ruptured, God had schemed to heal the rift. In fact, it was announced in the Garden of Eden that one day a son would be born to a woman and that this son would deal with that estranged relationship. And that certainly got the angels excited. They couldn't wait for the unfolding of God's salvation plan. The Apostle Peter tells us in his first letter that the angels long to look into these things, that is, into the things of the sufferings and glories of Christ. Children, the picture that we find in 1 Peter 1 is that the angels are, well, let me say this way, imagine you children are all up there in the balcony, and everything is happening down here, and you put your head over the balcony, stepping on your on your tiptoes so you can get a better glance at what's happening around here. Well, that's what the angels are doing. They're looking down from heaven onto earth and seeing how God is going to unfold his plan of redemption. In fact, you can hear them say to one another, did you see that? Wow, I wonder what that means. And who's this Who's this Messiah that Isaiah is talking about? Who's this son that is going to be born, this child that is going to be given? I wonder what's happening there. That's exactly what Peter tells us the angels are doing, wondering with the others how God was going to bring back humanity into fellowship with himself. The angels are thrilled to observe the unfolding of God's promise that someone was going to come to heal the breach and bring about reconciliation. So it doesn't take much to imagine the excitement in heaven when an angel, Gabriel, was called by God and sent to Zechariah to tell him that he and Elizabeth would have a son 
and that this son was going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. They knew that now the time of Christ's coming was near. Now the promise they already heard in Genesis 3, the the seed of the woman going to crush the head of the serpent, that that seed was almost here. And so they were thrilled when Gabriel was told to go to Zechariah. And then, a few months later, God again calls Gabriel, the angel, and tells him to go to Mary, a woman living in poverty, and that he was to tell this woman that she, out of all the women on earth, had been highly favored by God, that she was privileged to be carrying the son of promise, the child who was going to bring about salvation to the nations. The announcement must have been heard with sheer delight by the other angels. Obviously, this was a massive step forward in the plan of God. They had been anxiously awaiting the coming of the Savior, even more excited than children are for their Christmas presents, and they had waited for it a whole lot longer. And so when the promised Savior finally made his appearance in Bethlehem in the manger, the angels went euphoric. You could say they were on cloud nine, because as the shepherds were in the field, there was suddenly this bright light, and and one angel of the Lord appeared and heralded the birth announcement. Behold, he says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the one angel is given the monumental privilege of announcing the birth of this long-awaited reconciler who would put the world to rights. And when the one angel had declared the good news of great joy, the heavens erupted with praise as all the angels, this choir of heavenly hosts, praised God and said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The great uniter was born. The reconciler had arrived, and the angels were thrilled. And it seems that from then on, the angels are careful to protect this royal reconciler and to help him in his mission. And so when Herod, the megalomaniac, when he hears that the king of the Jews has been born and Bethlehem and is going to kill all him and all the other children in Bethlehem, it's an angel of the Lord who warns Joseph to hightail it to Egypt to escape the murderous designs of the king. And then when Jesus, some 30 years later, is tempted in the wilderness. Remember how the Spirit of God had sent him into the wilderness, and he was fasting for 40 days, and that after he fasted, he was tempted by Satan. We're told that after Satan had left, angels came and were ministering to him. We don't know what they said, but it's quite possible that they were doing the very thing that God had told them to do, that when Christ came into the world, God said, 
let all the angels worship him. And so perhaps the Lord Jesus in this weakened estate, or weakened state, having just encountered this battle with Satan, weary as he was, was encouraged by the angels as they worshiped the Son of God. And then the angel appears again in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember how Jesus was fearing death so much because he understood that when he died on the cross, he would be drinking the cup of the wrath of God against sin. And he was in agony because of the ordeal. And then we read there that after Jesus had prayed a couple of times, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We read, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Again, we don't know what he said, but we know that Jesus was weary, that he was in agony, and we know that the angel strengthened him, not so that he would avoid the ordeal, but so that he would be strengthened for the ordeal. Because we read right after that, the angel from heaven came, appeared to him, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And so certainly the angel must have said, press on, Lord Jesus, keep going, don't fail now. Don't abandon the calling that God has placed upon you now. Press on. Go to the cross. It's almost as if the angels couldn't stomach the failure of this mission. They so desperately want the great reconciler to be successful, for God to be glorified, for Christ to be honored, for sinners to be saved, that they help him along the way. They strengthen him in his weakness. And then at Jesus' resurrection, we encounter an angel. He had come down from heaven. That's why there was this great earthquake. And he came and rolled the stone away. And then to the fearful women, the angel gives them the reassuring news. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. And so the angels are at the birth of Christ. They're at the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. They're at the garden of Gethsemane. They are there at the tomb, the resurrection tomb of the Lord Jesus. But interestingly, we find no angel at the cross. You would think that if they would be anywhere, they would be here. You would think that if they would be at any time with Jesus, it would be now. But they are not at the cross. There's no angels there. Why? Well, because our Lord Jesus had to go it alone. He had to be the reconciler between God and man. He had to take upon himself the curse of sin because of the disobedience of humanity. And no one, no one could share that burden with him. He was the only mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. 
And so Jesus had to go it alone to the cross. Even his Father, as much as the Father loved the Son and might have wished to draw back on the punishment that his Son had to receive as the mediator of God's elect, even the Father did not drop or pull back. He did not dilute the cup of wine that our Lord Jesus had to drink. He did not spare his Son. And so our Lord Jesus had to go it alone and face the wrath of God against sin all by himself. There are no angels there. But you can be sure that the angels are watching from a distance because, remember, Peter says that they stoop down to see the sufferings and glories of Christ. And it seems like there'd be a light that flickered in their mind that came on all of a sudden. Oh, that's what they were speaking about. That's what they meant in Isaiah 53, that it pleased the Father to crush him, that the Father laid upon him the iniquity of us all, and that because Christ became the Lamb of God, the sin-bearer, it was the Father's will that he would be oppressed and afflicted. They all clued in. That's what's going on at the cross. They were not there, but you can be sure they were watching. And this concern for the Lord Jesus Christ and for His mission continues even after Christ rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. The angels are still interested in what Jesus is doing, even though Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father. So in Jerusalem, after the ascension, in the early days of the church, the apostles are preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, and they find themselves imprisoned for Jesus' sake. And we read there in Acts 5 that during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail, brought them out, and then told them to tell the people the good news of this new life in Jesus Christ. The angels love the gospel and want it to be proclaimed among the nations. This thrill, this delight, this joy, this exhilaration at the coming of Christ and His ongoing mission continues to this very day. They never lose interest. They're never tired about uh, what, hearing about what Christ has done. The Bible tells us that when Jesus comes back again as the victorious and conquering King of kings and Lord of lords, His entourage will include the holy angels. They had been following the journey of the Lord Jesus from the promise of His coming in Genesis 3 all throughout the Old Testament Scriptures, learning bit by bit who this Jesus was going to be. And then they were there at His birth, saw His coming, or looked over His life, noticed His death, His resurrection, His ascension, and they are there when He returns again in glory. The angels love the gospel of the Lord Jesus and are absolutely thrilled with the work of the Son of God. They love Christ, the reconciler, and they love His ministry of reconciliation. You can see this in Revelation. John tells us that the voice of the angels 
myriads upon myriads and thousands of thousands, that they say with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. They never worship Christ for having redeemed them from by His blood because they needed no redemption, but they worship Christ as the one who has redeemed His people by His blood. And so they are thrilled with Christ, the Reconciler, and the ministry of reconciliation. What's more, the angels are thrilled when humans are thrilled with Christ and His ministry of reconciliation. That's what our Lord Jesus said in Luke's Gospel as He tells the story of this woman who lost a coin, and so she searched everywhere for it. And when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And then Jesus says, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The angels love it when sinners repent because it exalts the Lord Jesus whom they love and His ministry which they have observed. So shouldn't the angels' excitement about the reconciliation of God and sinners spur us on to greater joy and exhilaration? Sometimes we sing, angels help us to adore Him, you who behold Him face to face. Well, certainly, if they are happy about Christ, indeed, if they are happier about Christ and what Christ has done, if they're happier than we are, there's a problem. After all, they don't even need reconciliation because they have never fallen into sin, but we do. And it isn't the angel's nature that Jesus took. He didn't become an angel. He became a man. So if they are happy about Christ, shouldn't we be even happier about the Lord Jesus? And so if your happiness is not due to the fact that the Son of God became man and came into this world to save sinners, then there's a problem. It wouldn't be right if the angels who needed no Savior are more excited than you, though you do need one. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. Consider the God whom you have offended. Consider what you deserve being driven from the presence of His grace. And then consider the great Reconciler, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, the uniter of God and humans. And then take Christ as your Savior, He who is freely offered to you in the gospel of grace. Repent of your sins. Turn away from them. Take Him. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. And rejoice in His grace. Surely, if you understood grace and what Christ has done in His grace, then you would join with the angels in marveling at the Savior and glorying in what He has done. And if you don't, well, you'll have God to deal with as your judge. And what's more, the angels, they who love the glory of Christ, they will be involved 
in your judgment too. The Bible tells us that the angels are so invested in the glory of the Lord Jesus that they will come at the end of the time and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. Those who reject Christ or are indifferent to Him and His mission will be cast by the angels into that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The angels are happy about Christ. Make them happy about you too by repenting and believing in the Lord Jesus. But those who join the angels in loving Christ and His gospel will be gathered into that place of everlasting joy. And there you will join in with them and say, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he, with whom He is pleased. And you will join in with that multitude which no one can number of both angels and humans, because Christ is Lord of both. And you will sing to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord our God, what a great thing it is to join with the angels in the observation of the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the promise so many years ago that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. We thank you that he was faithful uh, to the commission that you had given to him, that he did not shrink back, that he did not desire his own will, but did the will of his Father in heaven. We thank you for the angels who supported and strengthened him in his calling. We thank you for their joy in the message of Jesus Christ, for the way that they have helped the gospel to advance among the nations. And we pray that you would give us great joy so that together with them we would sing the praises of the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Glory be to you, our God, and to the Lamb. Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Well, let us uh, sing together hymn number 311.